0: Section 15 of The Ocean, A General Account of the Science of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ocean, A General Account of the Science of the Sea, by John Murray. Life in the Ocean, Animals, Part 1. Chapter 8. Life in the Ocean animals marine animals may be divided into those that are warm-blooded and those that are cold-blooded or better still into animals whose blood is usually at a more or less constant temperature whatever the external temperature may be and animals whose blood temperature is always the same as or very little above the temperature of the water in which they are living To the warm-blooded animals belong all the marine air-breathing mammals, such as whales, porpoises, dolphins, seals, walruses, etc., the modern whales being the largest creatures that have ever lived on our Earth. All these mammals have descended from terrestrial species, which have adapted themselves to an aquatic mode of life. In these marine mammals, the blood temperature ranges from 98 to 104 degrees Fahrenheit, And does not sensibly vary whether they be found in the ice-cold waters of the polar regions or the warm waters of equatorial seas. If some birds, like the penguins, are to be regarded as marine creatures, then they have a still higher blood temperature, which remains practically constant although the external conditions vary greatly. The vast majority of marine animals belong to the second group. In which the blood temperature is the same as that of the surrounding water or a very little higher. This group includes the fishes and all invertebrates. In the tunny fish, the temperature of the blood was observed to be sometimes as much as six degrees Fahrenheit above that of the surrounding water, but this was after great exertion and is exceptional. There are, in the polar regions, many species belonging to nearly all the marine groups which pass the whole of their lives in water having a temperature below the freezing point of fresh water. In the tropics, however, animals belonging to the same groups, starfishes for example, pass the whole of their existence in water having a temperature of about 80 degrees Fahrenheit. It is well known that chemical reactions are so influenced by temperature that the velocity of a reaction is doubled or trebled when the temperature is increased by 18 degrees Fahrenheit. This is known as Van Hoff's Law and is strictly applicable to biochemical reactions in plants. The evidence available shows that the same may be inferred with regard to the metabolism in animals, and this fact may explain many puzzling problems in marine biology. We shall in the first instance refer to animals which inhabit the surface, subsurface, and intermediate waters of the ocean, plankton, and then to those which are attached to or crawl over the ocean floor, benthus. Plankton fauna The great variety of plant life in the surface and subsurface waters of the ocean and the variations brought about by changes in temperature, viscosity, and other physical conditions have been referred to at the beginning of the preceding chapter. Animal life is equally abundant and in even greater variety in the surface and subsurface waters and is grouped into 1. Plankton, both neuritic and oceanic, animals carried along by the currents, and 2. Nectin, animals which can swim against currents. Almost all classes of marine animals are represented in the plankton fauna in either the colder or the warmer areas. Reptiles, fishes, tunicates, crustaceans, mollusks, worms, cholinterets, and protozoa. The sponges are unrepresented. The great class of echinoderms seems to be represented only by the pelagic holothurian, pelagiotheria, although the larval stages are numerous, especially where the sea is shallow and the large class of insects is represented only by a few species of halibates. The protozoa, forminifera, and radiolaria form a most important item in the plankton, for though of microscopic dimensions, they swarm in countless myriads in tropical and temperate regions see plate 7 for radiolaria and plate 9 for forminifera and deposits largely composed of their dead shells and skeletons cover extensive areas of the sea floor in different parts of the world. The crustacea are probably the most abundant of all pelagic animals, and especially the smaller forms like the copepoda and amphipoda, the small size of which is counterbalanced by the enormous number of individuals. The pelagic mollusks, pteropods and heteropods, are specially characteristic of the warmer regions of the ocean, sea plate 8, where their shells fall to the bottom in such numbers as to form in moderate depths a large part of the deposit called pteropod ooze. The pelagic tunicates, salpa, deliolum, pyrosoma, appendicularia, are important members of the plankton, and many species of fishes and cephalopods, being powerful swimmers, are included among the necton pelagic larvae of benthotic animals are abundant near shore in shallow water but become less numerous farther out to sea in tropical and subtropical regions there are many overgrown larval forms plaguusia Philosoma, Olima, erycthus etc which are supposed to have been carried by currents from the shallow waters near shore into the open ocean where they could not find congenial conditions for their development sexually And hence have grown to a great size. It is still maintained by some authors that the leptocephalus of the common eel is a larva of this kind. If it be quite normal, it has the peculiarity of being reduced in size on passing from the leptocephalid to the elver stage. The salmon runs into rivers and lakes to spawn, but the freshwater eel puts on a silvery coat and descends to the ocean to spawn, though as yet its eggs have not been found. The youngest larval stages known were taken in the Saragasso Sea by the Michael Sars in 1910. The assemblage of pelagic or planktonic organisms within the photic zone of the ocean is self-sufficient and self-supporting. The minute plants, like peridinians or diatoms, build up organic substances by the aid of chlorophyll and sunlight and furnish food for such creatures as copepods and amphipods, which in turn are food for fishes, birds, and whales. Here we have an example of one of the many existing nutritive chains in the ocean. All the organic matter elaborated in the bodies of these organisms is, after death, attacked by bacteria and broken down to ammonia, nitrites, and nitrates to form the food of the pelagic algae, thus carrying on this cycle of anabolism and catabolism. Influence of Temperature In Arctic and Antarctic regions, when tow nets are drawn through the ocean waters, vast numbers of crustaceans, schizopods, copepods, and amphipods are captured, which belong to relatively few genera and species. When tow nets are drawn through tropical waters, they usually capture similar pelagic creatures, but while the quantity of organic matter in them is much less than in the polar seas, the number of genera and species greatly exceed those found in the cold waters toward the north and south. This contrast is apparently to be accounted for by the rate of metabolism in the organisms, to which reference has just been made. It seems evident that the organisms captured in the cold polar waters are of very different ages, eggs and young and adults being found at all seasons in the same halls. Some of these adults may be 10, 20, or more years of age. The actions of enzymes, of bacteria, and of putrefaction are all slowed down in the low-temperature conditions. In tropical waters, on the other hand, all these processes are accelerated, and the various phases in the life history of these organisms are passed through rapidly. It is unlikely that any of these minute organisms in tropical seas are older than some days, weeks, or months. It is in this way that we may account for the greater quantity of organic matter in cold polar waters, which furnishes abundant food for such huge animals as the whale whales. The stomachs of these whales, when killed, are sometimes found to be so crammed with copepods and other crustaceans that they may be dug out with a spade. In the equatorial waters, the toothed whales feed not on these small plankton organisms, but on cuttlefish, fishes, and other large creatures. It is also probable that this temperature relation is correlated with the fact that in the cold polar waters, the individuals are many, while the genera and species are few, and that in tropical waters, the individuals are relatively few, while the genera and species are many. Another peculiarity, depending apparently on temperature, is the fact that the development of a large number of polar marine animals is direct during the night errant expedition in the Faroe channel many hundreds of holothurians latmogon violacea were taken in a haul of the trawl in five hundred fifty fathoms and at another station many hundreds of pycnogonids nymphum robustum were taken in a trawling from five hundred forty fathoms This exuberant development of individuals belonging to a single species at one spot in the colder regions of the ocean is believed to be dependent upon direct development, so that the young spread over the seabed without the intervention of a pelagic stage. In the tow-net catches in the Arctic and Antarctic, there are relatively few pelagic larvae of benthonic species in the antarctic the challenger recorded only one echinoderm larva in the surface waters this was subsequently taken by the british national antarctic expedition and by the german south polar expedition it has been described under the name auricularia antarctica and is regarded by mortensen as the larva of a holothurian on the other hand many echinoderms astrids ophiurids echinids and holothurians were dredged with eggs and with young in various stages of development, clinging to the parents. In temperate regions, pelagic larvae are abundant during the warmer months of the year, but almost absent in the winter, while in the equatorial regions they are always present in the tow nets, especially in coastal waters. Again, the secretion of carbonate of lime by organisms is very much retarded in cold water as compared with warm water in cold water it is believed that calcite is laid down while in warm water aragonite is deposited as an illustration it may be mentioned that in the tropical waters there are about thirty-five species of shelled pteropods and thirty-two species of heteropods these gradually disappear as we proceed from the equator towards either pole till in truly polar waters only one small shelled species of limacina is to be found in the arctic and another allied species in the Antarctic. Meisenheimer states that the pteropod Limacina helicina occurs both in the Arctic and Antarctic, while Limacina retroversa occurs in the northern and southern temperate regions, though absent from the warmer tropical belt. Some authors, on the other hand, do not regard these northern and southern forms as identical, but rather as distinct varieties. Quite similar is the distribution of the pelagic foraminifera. Towards the equator, more than 20 species may be found in the tow nets, but they gradually disappear as we proceed into colder water towards the poles. Only one species of globigerina, G. pachyderms, is found living in the Arctic surface waters and another species, G. dutertra, in the Antarctic waters. Some authors regard these two species as identical. The gigantic coral reefs and islands of the ocean, as well as the dead shells making up the globigerina and pteropod oozes of the ocean floor, present excellent evidence of the metabolic activity of animals and plants in the warmest waters of the globe. The living mantle of organic matter over the surface of the coral reefs may not at any moment be very large in amount, but the presence of the reefs and the rate at which the calcium carbonate skeletons are laid down clearly indicate a much greater metabolic activity than is to be found anywhere in the arctic or antarctic seas in the cold water of the deep sea there are among benthonic organisms on the other hand no large molluscan or other calcareous shells the largest mollusk shell dredged by the challenger in deep water was about six and a half inches in length and was thin and transparent viscosity Still another condition, depending on temperature, is the viscosity of the seawater, see Chapter 5, which plays an important role in the development of suspension organs in plankton animals as well as plants. In the surface waters of the tropics, a temperature of 80 degrees Fahrenheit is found, and the viscosity is, as we have seen, only one-half of that met with at the lower limit of the photic zone, where the temperature is 40 degrees Fahrenheit. It follows that organisms sink twice as fast in the warmer water above as in the colder water below, and it is necessary for them to develop various kinds of floating apparatus so as to increase or diminish their surface resistance. These floating devices include secretion of fats and oils, development of air bladders, reduction of size, variation in shape, and production of various forms of appendages. As in the case of cold water marine plants, Polar marine animals do not require to develop suspension organs because of the small variation in the viscosity of the water in surface and deep layers. Relation of the pelagic fauna to penetration of light The animals captured near the lower limit of light penetration, that is in tropical regions in depths of about 500 fathoms, have been called bathopelagic or twilight animals. There is, at this step, a rather sudden change in temperature, salinity, and viscosity, and in consequence, we may find many adaptations to these peculiar physical conditions. For instance, as regards color and amount of pigmentation, and the development of floating contrivances, and of eyes and light organs. Floating at the surface of the ocean, we have a series of blue-colored animals, like Porpita volella, Fasalia, and Ianthea, which viewed from below must be nearly invisible, hence protected from enemies. Immediately below the surface, most animals are transparent and colorless, like the leptocephalids and many other larvae, which when taken from the toe-nets are often distinguishable only by their little black eyes, their blood being devoid of hemoglobin and the entire body perfectly transparent. Others are silvery with a bluish back, like the herrings and flying fishes, Animals living in the vicinity of floating objects, such as logs of wood or clusters of gulfweed, exhibit a marvelous resemblance in coloring to the objects they accompany. As typical examples of such protective coloring, we may cite the little crab, Planus minutus, and the little fish, Anaterius marmoratus, associated with the floating gulfweed of the Saragasso Sea. In depths of 100 or 200 fathoms, the fishes are usually laterally compressed gray in color or with silvery sheen often iridescent on the sides and blue-black or brown on the back this arrangement seems admirably adapted for rendering the animals invisible when viewed either from above or from below the fish argyropelicus is a good example in depths beyond three hundred fathoms the animals are characterized by reddish and dark colors thus the medusae show dark brown and red colors the pteropods dark violet, the fishes black or dark violet, the worms and crustaceans red. These variations of color seem to be correlated with the amount of sunlight penetrating to the various depths, for the dark-colored bathypelagic forms are found in deeper water in the tropics than in temperate regions where the penetration of light is less. It has been shown by the Michael Sars expedition that the dark-colored fishes undertake vertical migrations during the night and have consequently a very considerable adaptation to changes of temperature and pressure. The amount of pigmentation in certain forms, like the Medusae and the Crustaceans, seem also to be regulated by the amount of light, increasing in intensity with increase of depth. Phosphorescent Light we have already referred to the extraordinary fact that no phosphorescent organisms have been found in fresh water, even phosphorescent bacteria requiring sodium chloride in the medium in which they are cultivated. The power of emitting phosphorescent light is widely distributed in nearly all groups of marine organisms, including bacteria, peridinians flagellates, cholenterates, crustaceans, cephalopods, tunicates, and fishes. The fact that some creatures have this power and others have not, and the distribution of phosphorescent organisms as regards depth, are among those puzzling phenomena with which the marine biologist has to deal. The development of phosphorescent organs appears to be greatest in warm water, but it is also found in cold waters, as in the case of pyridinium and nictophanes. Sometimes the light is due to the secretion of a slimy, luminous substance, which may cover the entire body, sometimes it proceeds from a nucleus sometimes it is produced by special light organs more or less complicated in structure from a simple luminous cell in the epithelium to complex glandular bodies having a lens and reflector functioning somewhat after the manner of a bullseye lantern development of light organs light organs occur mainly in pelagic animals and as regards fishes are characteristic of those forms living in depths down to three hundred fathoms the size of the light organs seems to correspond with the different depths the larger organs being found in fishes living in the subsurface waters thus of the six species of cyclothone five live in deep water and these are black and have small light organs while one species C. Cignata, lives in much shallower water, is gray in color, and has large light organs. The surface forms of the scopolid genus Myctophum have large light organs, while the deep water forms of the same genus have very small light organs. During the Michael Sars expedition in the North Atlantic, the fishes taken in depths beyond 400 fathoms had usually either no light organs or very small ones while those taken between 100 and 300 fathoms had large light organs. Development of Eyes Evidently, the size of the eye is correlated with phosphorescent light and the penetration of sunlight, for among pelagic fishes, a great change in the size of the eye is noticeable in those living near the lower limit of the photic zone as compared with those living in the lesser depths thus in many of the fishes taken from depths of one hundred to three hundred fathoms the diameter of the eye is about one-half to one-quarter of the length of the head while in those taken beyond three hundred fathoms the eye may be only one-twelfth or one-fifteenth of the head or it may be absent altogether it is interesting to note that the only blind squid known was taken at a depth of eight hundred fathoms among the crustacea a decrease in the size of the eye with increase of depth has also been noticed in many amphipods living in the surface waters the entire head is occupied by the two large eyes in certain decapods living in depths less than a hundred fathoms the diameter of the eye is about one-sixth the length of the carapace while in those from about three hundred fathoms the relation is about one-tenth and in those from five hundred or six hundred fathoms it may be as low as 1 Peculiar stalked eyes have been observed in a few pelagic larval fishes, but they probably develop into normal eyes during the later stages. A stalk-eyed cuttlefish has also been taken at a depth of 100 fathoms. Telescopic eyes are known in fishes from depths less than 300 fathoms, usually such as float rather than swim and as they point upwards, they seem well adapted to receive the faint vertical rays of light. It must be pointed out that sometimes the eyes of benthonic animals become larger with increase of depth, and it is possible that this is for the purpose of being sensitive to phosphorescent light. Intermediate water fauna. Up to the present time, it is impossible to make any quite satisfactory statements as to the distribution of animals living in the great intermediate region between the lower limit of the photic zone and the bottom. While many animals, like some of the Challengerida among the Radiolaria and members of some of the higher groups, apparently live exclusively in this area, the limits of their bathymetrical distribution have not been ascertained. So far as they have proceeded, the investigations seem to show that the organisms inhabiting this intermediate zone of water are not so numerous as those in the layers nearer the surface and nearer the bottom. End of Section 15, read by Dave Burke in Alexandria, Virginia, April 23, 2022.